Hi, Wanaki friends. Welcome to another episode of the Big Red Farmhouse, a podcast brought to you by Wanaki, a camping and retreat center in the Lakes region of New Hampshire. We are so glad you are here with us this week. This week, Amelia and I speak with James Tresner, Wanaki's executive director, about his shoebox of silly items he would bring as a camper and some of his favorite Wanaki buildings. He also ranks the best dining hall mugs, and he gives us some insight on some important lessons he learned at Wanaki. We recorded this episode during the summer when this podcast was still in the brainstorming phase. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you so much for being our guest today. We wanted to start just by asking if you could tell us a little bit about like your Wanaki story, how you started coming here, and how you came to be on staff, and where you are now. Yeah, um, so I, back I grew up just outside of Hartford, Connecticut, and as a, growing up, we attended the United Methodist Church of Hartford, and there was a family there that um, the grandparents lived in Meredith, and I, a familiar name to, to some folks, Art and Del Clow, uh, and their daughter had um, kids who were around my age, and they would come up and visit grandma and grandpa, and then come to Wanaki, and every and then they came back down to the Hartford area and just shared how much fun they had and how much they liked it here. So uh, myself and Nick and Brendan came up and did a half week of choose your own adventure, which at that point was a fourth or sixth grade camp, but we were the oldest kids in camp. So we, we were all the way up in site seven, even though I was only uh, 11 years old or whatever for my first time here. And yeah, just from there, never looked back, kept coming, started doing, finally figured out in high school that doing two weeks is better than doing one. So I settled into that groove and did water, wind, and wheels a couple times, senior high, LIT. And was sort of, I was also, I, I went to a bunch of different ca- camps in middle school and uh, and into high school even, and was thinking about kind of what I might want to do with my summers. I think I had always kind of imagined working at camp because I was a, a scout growing up and really loved the outdoors and summer camps of all types had always been such a place where I'd felt so comfortable and um, when it came time to decide where I wanted to sort of do my CIT thing um, for a lot of reasons, but mostly that this place felt right and was the one where I found the most joy and made the most meaningful connections. Um, I ended up going with Wanaki and the rest was kind of history. I worked here all four summers uh, after my freshman year through after senior year in college and then Stayed involved as a volunteer and uh, was on the operations committee for a few years before um, throwing my name in the hat in, I guess it was the end of 2015, um, when the executive director job came open and ended up here full time. So now I'm in my fifth summer, the, <laughs> a very different summer, but uh, so four and a half years. And yeah, that's James at Wanaki, 22 year, 21 years kicking around, I guess. Wow. 21 years. Yeah. God, it's a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's sort of, I don't like saying it. Sort of. <laughs> so we know that uh, campers here come in all kinds. So in that like time that you were a camper, how would you best describe yourself? What kind of, what kind of camper were you? <laughs> yeah, I, the, you know, the, uh, I think I was tentative probably at first and sort of taking it all in, or I, I know I was. Um, and my, so Brendan and I, he was always sort of my camp sidekick and maybe sometime he'll, he's also a very good storyteller. So I, maybe he'll be a, a guest sometime. Um, I, we kind of were, um, 
different people that I think brought out different sides of one another. And the side of, of me that he pulled on was sort of the more um, silly and kind of like random and just sort of going with the flow and just sort of being a little bit maybe more over the top than I had been comfortable being in new spaces. And that was part of what I, I loved about camp. And, and Brendan was a big part of that. But so was the environment created by counselors and the staff and just the community here was feeling like I could sort of be silly and be myself and be a little bit, um, I don't know if confidence is the word, but like extroverted and sort of not unafraid to talk to people. And, and I think that's definitely who I am now. And, and that's, I'm sure we're going to talk about this later, but one of the things about Wanaki specifically was sort of helping me realize who I really was or who I really wanted to be to some extent. So I think hopefully my counselors um, would characterize me as someone who um, was both fun and silly and, and perhaps push the envelope at times. Um, <laughs> but I distinctly remember one of my counselors saying that, you know, she really trusted me, even though like, I remember we forgot the s'mores on a Friday night and she let me run down and get them. And I mean, but she didn't say run, but I, I did run. <laughs> um, and uh, from, from, I don't even know what set we were in, maybe side five. And uh, it was with Kira. And I think Brandon came down too. And one of us tried to jump over the crate in the parking lot while we were holding it between our hands. And of course, like kicked it. And then all the gutterpackers fell out and broke. And like, maybe we were all giggling and we got back to the site and had like some more piles, but it was all like that. I don't know that. Sorry. That's a weird story, but um, obviously there's some like an element of like silliness and maybe not the best decision in there to like run through the parking lot and jump over the crate and break all the gutterpackers, but also it's harmless fun. Um, and I think that's sort of like coming back. I remember it being sort of a very silly reunion of hee hee hee, look what happened to the game crackers. And it's kind of a nightmare, right? Nobody wants broken s'mores and they weren't all broken, but, uh, again, one of those just like really specific stories. And, um, yeah, I think hopefully a balance of silly, but also like within, um, in, in a way that was not ever like over, over the line of kind of you know, there's a lot going on here, right? You've got these count, count college kids taking care of 12 year olds and 13 year olds. And there's, mm -hmm. it's, we want to have fun, but it also, there have to be, um, it can't be out of control. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So specifically, I have heard the, the legends of a box you would bring mm. to camp. <laughs> um, and over the years, I've heard more items that have that have appeared in the box. Would you just share with the audience what this box was and kind of what it means to you? <laughs> right, the shoe box. Yes. Yeah. So it started. Um, I, I I had a Camelback. I don't. I I remember barely ever using the thing. It was one of those you know pieces of equipment that a lot of other scouts had, and I was like, oh, this seems cool. You can you know put your water on your back. Um, I think they're really impractical in hindsight and I, I barely ever used it. But the, the reason this all started was I had a Camelback and I didn't know how to dry it. So I figured out that if I borrowed a potato masher from my mother, that it was the perfect shape. I could just put it in there and it would kind of like, you know, open it up so that it wouldn't be sticking to itself and it would dry more thoroughly. So one night we were sitting in the cabin having a flashlight fire. We were in the boys cabin and everybody was hanging out together. And I realized I needed to, um, take care of my camelback. So I open up my suitcase and I pull out my potato masher and I just have it in my hand. And my, my counselor looks over and just like, just sort of stops, stares, mouth kind of falls open. And then they just start laughing uproariously with like, why the heck are we sitting in this cabin in the middle of the woods where you're like, you're clearly not cooking anything. And even if you were, you're not going to be mashing potatoes. And there I am just like holding this potato masher, like as I'm looking for the camelback. Um, 
and it just became the like oh james has random stuff like that was sort of the first seed so then it became oh we have to make sure we bring random stuff there were and then it sort of started to accumulate over time there was like a crumpled up dixie cup that brendan would bring which was a, a wayne's world reference and um then I remember going to like a party supply store for I don't know why. And I bought little drink umbrellas and I would bring them to the dining hall and just like put them in my milk or my water <laughs> um, and just sit there with them. And, I, you know, there were enough for everybody. I, I, again, I think I still have some of those drink umbrellas that were purchased in like 2001, 2002. Um, one year, Rachel, my counselors, she was painting and she get, she had one of those like free painters hats, the really cheap ones with the cardboard brims. They're white with a, usually a blue brim. And I like would wear that and I like, kept that in the box. Um, and then things got a little bit more complicated. Uh, at one point we had a tire that we pulled out of the river on a river <laughs> trip. Um, so obviously this didn't fit in the box, but uh, so we, <laughs> we were on the river trip. I think I was in eighth grade. Brendan pulled this tire out and then we put it in the middle of the canoe and I sat in it all day long and Brendan and I sang, Hey Jude, and he canoed me down the river like a gondola. Um, so then we would bring the tire back uh, in future summers. And the, and the summer we pulled the tire out, we uh, brought it up to site five, I think at where we were staying and we rolled it down the hill. And this was like Saturday at noon, you know, we weren't even supposed to be here anymore. And our, I think it was my mom sitting in the van, like, what are, what are you doing? And, but the, but the tire was like taking the corners, you know, it, it went around some of the bends in the road until it launched into the, um, like over where the ropes course shed is now. We also brought a jukebox one year that we got from the dump in between our, we did two weeks back to back and we went to the free room in Canterbury <laughs> and grabbed a jukebox. And then the, my crowning, I think the final one specific thing is um, this inflatable monkey that I also <laughs> purchased at the party supply store. And there's a picture of me in high school with the monkey hanging from the ceiling in my cabin. Uh, Tracy Klaus was my counselor both years that I did senior high and he, he has this photo um, and it kind of squeaked when you like, if you squeeze it, it, it squeaked and he had his like arm up in the air and it was waving and I would just carry it around or like link it to my backpack and pass it around to different people. And uh, eventually it got the name Seymour Jason. And the, my final memory of, and perhaps this might be the end of when the shoebox was really a big part of James's Wanaki experience was not until five or six years ago when I was volunteering for, senior high and we decided to bring Seymour tubing so on our canoe to monkey island we um haha monkey island we, <laughs> we put a life jacket on him and uh attached him to the back of the canoe and then he got to go tubing all the way to monkey island and there's this photo of katie capern and i sitting in the canoe with this monkey with a life jacket on waving at you from um behind us out you know five feet ten feet out in the water and i just think it's an amazing picture and a great pinnacle of the shoebox of random things that was all started with uh, a potato masher. <laughs> yes, I, I think I have seen the inflatable monkey. I think he's been around in recent he, years. Yeah, he's, he, I, I can definitely find him. Maybe I'll bring him down uh, for the mini staff. Is, is uh, everything else still existing in the shoebox? Is it like a, is it still in your possession? <laughs> I think I need to sort it out. I think some of the stuff made it into my like Rubbermaid mm. that became sort of like the adult version when I would come as a volunteer, like things that I, you know, I have like in my clipboard in there, you know, and like whistles and um, like just random stuff that was more, um, I don't know, that was, was more defensible as what you might need to bring to camp. I, I believe some of the more absurd things, I'm fairly certain that like the hat and the drink umbrellas and um, I think that might still be at my parents' house. Mm. I'll have to look in the closet, but okay. um, there also was a blonde wig I once went to. <laughs> Um, that was part of a Halloween costume that showed up for a while. So 
Um, yes, I bl- many of the items are here at camp, and some I think might still be hiding in a corner of of uh, my old bedroom. Very cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, I guess speaking of things that you brought to Wanaki, we wanted to talk a little bit about songs. Were there any mm. songs that you brought to Wanaki, or just any songs that you particularly like to lead here? Ooh, yeah. Um, so I always, when, when I think of bringing songs to Wanaki, I will give a, a great deal of credit to uh, Mr. Nate Tapp. When he arrived in 2006, so many of the songs, some, many of which have become sort of Wanaki classics, he did bring here. Um, and that was partially because he grew up at a Methodist camp out in Colorado. And so I had, I had a chance to work at Aldersgate, our sister site down in Rhode Island for a couple of summers and after working here for four years and picked up a few highlights down there that made their way here. Um, one of the more meaningful ones that I know Aldersgate didn't write but hadn't been done at Wanaki was the second verse of Sanctuary, which now has gotten a pretty good foothold here. Um, also, Hey Malena was uh, a song used by that summer's soccer specialist or sports specialist at Aldersgate, and, and he would use it as a warm-up song. Um, so I brought that up here during sports and games. Um, and it, it, it appears randomly. I don't think it's super well-known, but uh, in the last couple of summers, it's been a little bit more um, present. <laughs> it's, it's definitely a, a, a rowdy one. Um, and there was one more from Aldersgate that I did bring up, but I am blanking on it. And my favorite one to lead is probably Humpty Dump. I know that um, I have a lot of uh, very, very fond memories from my summer stuff years. I used to lead King Jesus, King Jesus Has All with uh, Sarah and other special guests at times. And then we, um, we did the other one that I will take a little bit, I don't know, that I will claim as being involved in its origin story is the Moses musical rap. <laughs> and obviously it's long been in the songbook um, and a certain survivor camper, Sam Bovey, um, and many of the, the members of that group of campers that came through Survivor over many years, um, always wanted to try it. And then in, I think it was, either, I think it was 2008, maybe it was 2009, um, we decided to just like go for it and figure it out. And I think Wanaki's first ever video on our Facebook page is Jenny Evans, Sarah Evans, and I leading the Moses, Moses musical rap. And I was wearing uh, Dave the Head Cook's fedora at the time um <laughs> and we're dancing around in and uh so that was very fun uh, but but humpty dump i think is my favorite right mm. now to lead just because i think it's so silly and i love um progressing from the craziness of just doing a normal nursery rhyme to then the more like the sung ones like frosty the snowman or mm. amazing grace and, and then also it, the way you intersperse the nonsense ones where nobody knows the words after the first line like jack spratt three blind mice um, <laughs> three blind mice I, I think i just love that absurdity i think it's uh just i don't know there's very few things like it i i've tried to lead boom chicka boom i don't think i'm good at it and that was one that i I think there was one summer where I was the boom chicka boom guy, but I, it was after Mike Nuttall and Nate had done it for so many years and I just couldn't do it justice. So I'm happy that that one, now other people uh, attempt to to bring that one to life because I've never been good at it. Yeah, that one, I don't, that one's less, we do that one less now, but it's a nice one to throw in there amongst the others. I think it's, it's hard because you have to, you almost have to be like a voice actor. Yeah. (laughs) In order to really execute on it, you have to have like almost the theater background, which isn't, you know, which is not really true, right? It's always fun, even if you're just yelling it and doing the elevator one and the quiet one. But then the next level, the Johnny Depp and the 
you know, those more absurd ones that sometimes yeah. get thrown in there. Johnny uh, Depp. I, I've never heard Depp, of that. But Johnny Depp. It's Pirates of the Caribbean style. What? Oh. Depp, Orlando Bloom. Oh. I said a Bloom, Orlando Bloom. I don't yeah, know. Again, if... Nate Tap original. Nate Tap original. I take no credit. Huh. I don't know <laughs> if I've ever experienced the full Boom Chicka Boom song. So. Well, perhaps our friend Nate will yeah. listen to this. And, and uh, he's, I know, been ruminating on when his return to Wanaki might be after a few years away. So hopefully... Hopefully you guys can overlap one of these upcoming summers. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. So amongst other favorites, the, you know, Wanaki, there's 227 acres here for those listening who don't know. Um, and there's a variety of buildings on the, on the acreage. And James, you've had what you said the past five years now to be the main caretaker of these, of the land. And uh, we were wondering if perhaps a, Wanaki building has become your favorite of all of them. Hmm. Building. Yeah. Okay. Um, yes, I will say that it, it is amazing. Even as, this year in particular, the last four months I have, I don't leave very often. So my sort of familiarity with all the nooks and crannies of camp has continues to grow. And I think it's so one of the special things about camp is that every time you um, come here, you, you, you can, you'll definitely discover like new parts of this little parcel that we're on, not this large parcel that we're on. And there's so many cool corners to discover. Mm. Um, favorite building. Oh, that's tricky. I, I mean, I have a really visceral connection to a lot of them. <laughs> um, Dan Tori <laughs> always likes to tell the story of, uh, <laughs> this was in my summer staff years. I would, I, I guess I likes to make the argument that the maintenance shed <laughs> was was the best building at camp. And the reason I said that was that it had a, a nice solid cement floor um, and was relatively new and, and the roof was intact and it was all straight. Mm. Um, sort of, you know, a lot of vertical and, and perpendicular lines like you want in a good structure. Right. Uh, I don't actually, that's not necessarily what I still believe, but I, I think that's a very funny story that I'd kind of forgotten about. Um, I don't know. I'd probably go with the farmhouse. Yeah. I know that's mm-hmm. pretty generic. Mm. Um, I could I could wax poetic about lots of different cabins and my memories in, right. up in them. And even the lower shower house. I, <laughs> um, I know that's crazy to say, but there's this, the way that it, unfortunately, the way that it smells, which isn't actually really unpleasant, <laughs> but it has a distinct yeah. mm-hmm. like lower, lower shower house vibe. And when I walk in there, I still feel like an 11 year old. You know, mm, it's just... Yep moves mm-hmm. me right back to this other space, this other moment in time um, and, the, and the way that camp felt as a kid. And that's a lot of smells do that at camp, but um, that mm-hmm. one is so unique and mm-hmm. odd. Do you guys ever go into a bathroom somewhere else and get hit with the lower shower house smell? Because I feel like that happens to me. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, I'm in the lower shower house. <laughs> I, you know, I think it's happened at like some campgrounds. Yes. Like, like beaches mm-hmm. and stuff, yeah. yeah. There's... Can I also, sorry, one more on the building. I thought you were going to ask about little parts of camp that you think are fun. And I I think this uh, one thing that I find really funny is this very well-made pile of rocks up along mm. the yellow trail just past the lemon squeeze. Like kind of, if you if you imagine that the family that lived in the cellar hole, the house that used to be there, and then there was the valley where the well was, and then you go up the other side. On top of a boulder, there's this like perfect little pile that's like very well shaped and almost looks like a muffin turned upside down and i just love imagining um the people who were on this land and farming it like not just you know throwing rocks over in a pile but that one pile they made it perfect and i every time i walk by it i wonder like i wonder 
if someone in the family thought this was a weird project, you know, if they argued about why are you spending all this time arranging those rocks so nicely, you know, I just, mm. I don't, I think that's <laughs> super specific in the way my brain works, but I, I get endless enjoyment out of wondering about why those rocks are where they are and <laughs> filed the way they are, which is maybe just says that I spend too much time <laughs> thinking about rocks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's good to point out. There are like lots of little special things mm-hmm. this when you walk around more. Definitely. Yeah. So we know, James, that you are a big coffee fanatic. Um, yes. One of my favorite parts about coffee at Wanaki is to pick a mug in the morning. Mm. You have, <laughs> yes. can we hear your ranking of the best dining hall mugs? Uh, We're sorry yes. you're not drinking coffee at this mm. moment. Right. There, yes. there was a tragedy. We're we all went to get it. coffee before this recording and there was none remaining. <laughs> that is the tragedy of today, June 14th, July 14th. Um, yes, ah, the mugs. Can I, one of my first acts as director in my first summer was upgrade, was just like realizing that the coffee we were drinking was not what I wanted. So now we get Wicked Joe from Maine. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you to our, our U.S. Foods reps for supporting us and getting a slightly darker roast. Um, favorite mugs. I, you know, this, a lot of people are going to say this one, but I do love the Jagger, the Jagger, the Jagger. Mm, the Jagger. Um, uh, R.I.P. The Jagger mug has gone missing. Um, I may have found not the same mugs, but version of the Jogger mugs on eBay um, over this winter that are ready to be introduced into the transportation in coming years. Yes. What? Um, that's how passionate I am about the Jogger mug that I have replaced. Oh, my two, goodness. Not quite as epic because they don't say the Jogger, the Jogger, or the Jogger repeatedly. Oh. Um, but they do have two pictures of the Jogger, um, different versions of the Jogger. So if, excited about that. Yeah. If you know where the Jogger mug is let us know mm-hmm. that is an important yes. that might be a positive outcome of this podcast yeah yeah um, is locating the jogger mug um yeah i also i really like um the this the what is it this is 40 or this is 39 holding on at 39 holding on at 39 yeah mm-hmm. i think that one's funny because I, I think a lot of summer staff have used that over the years um and how did we get a like a gag gift for a 40 year old <laughs> in the dining hall um i mean i i could i could guess how we got it but um, there's also that green one that has the little pedestal on the bottom you know that one it has the little um it's like how, how you might get like a nice uh hot cider at a restaurant but it's green oh, and i just think it's yes, very yes yeah mm-hmm. it's a good one it's a little bit bigger than the standard um, new hampshire conference mugs which i think if you can find a good clean new hampshire conference with that still has the red on it those are pretty nice but the the green one i always just feel a little more a uh, little more i don't know uh, sophisticated i want mm. to say whilst <laughs> yes. whilst drinking my coffee over breakfast in the dining hall <laughs> surrounded by 100 friends right um so those would be i think the three that jump out yeah yeah those are some solid picks for sure <laughs> um Okay, so this morning here at camp, we woke up, well, I woke up to a thunderstorm happening outside, um, yeah. and I said to Shannon, Shannon, it's storming, <laughs> and she said, <laughs> what did she say, Shannon? I believe I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we started discussing, if this were a normal day at camp, what would be happening at 6.30 in the morning um, on the hill during the middle of a lightning storm. And it made us think about all the crazy thunderstorms we've had over the years. And we were wondering if you could share a notable thunderstorm story with us uh, from your time here. Oh, my. Yes. I think so many people have so many epic 
thunderstorm memories um, at camp. It's definitely right part of the memories or part of what makes camp so strong, I think, is the are the moments when things go off the rails, when they go wrong and you have to figure out how to fix them or how to get out of a situation like a thunderstorm, right? That's a normal part of life, um, but does have some real things that some real risks to it that we have to manage. Namely, we, we go inside. Um, so, yeah, anyways, I... Um, there's one so survivor this is i directed sorry survival um survival camp i directed that for a few years um my last year was 2009 and i think it was that summer um where we were uh getting ready to go to site x which is tucked all the way on the back side of camp it's um where the non-maintained arbutus hill road section meets up with the sort of rectangle of camp property um, there's this little flat area where we bring campers uh, for an overnight. So they're on the property, um, but it definitely feels far away. It's about the same distance from site eight as site eight is from the farmhouse. So you kind of double that distance and then you're at site X. Anyways, we were watching the weather really closely. Uh, I believe we were only bringing out one site. And this again is the same crew that was really into the Moses musical rap. Um, <laughs> to, to connect up these stories and we were chopping the weather and there was some thunder kicking around but it was like you know i think it's gonna miss us i think it's gonna miss us and i remember even telling the campers there's a bit of weather but i think it's gonna miss us um and you know i can't be really the, the weeks go fast and you don't it's hard to if we didn't go that night it was like we're not gonna get to go camp out and do this big which is a big event in the life of a survival camper right the overnight sure. is sort of mm -hmm. like a like a mountaintop moment yeah um so we go out there and and the rumbles start happening and we're making dinner and it was like oh i don't i don't know i think i think it's gonna miss us you know sometimes you hear the rumbles and it doesn't rain um and sometimes it does and so and then it just hit and man um I, a lot of the campers like ran into, we had the tents all set up and a bunch of campers ran into, we had those big tents that have been called, um, a lot, have had a lot of funny names, but sleep like seven kids, you know, and, and those, those kind of the three room ones. Um, and a lot of them were, were in there and the, but a couple were still out over the fire, um, holding a, like a tarp on one side. And one of the counselors is trying to still make the, I think it was Tex-Mex or the Dutch oven lasagna maybe. And they're still in there like with the tarp and the smoke just billowing in their face. And the campers are like, we got this, we got this. And everybody in the cabin's watching and sort of screaming with excitement. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And then it became clear that it was really coming down and that we had to kind of abandon ship. I don't, I don't remember what, um, what prompted the realization that like, oh no, this is, this is, we're not going to be able to, to ride this one out. Um, while camping so the the uh the, the place to go when you're there is the log cabin it's only like a i don't know a seven minute walk maybe down the down the road um so it's just like all right guys we gotta we gotta do this um essentially make a run for it and I, there the water was i'm not exaggerating was in parts of the road was a foot deep because it was coming oh down gosh. so fast and the road <laughs> had become like a little river channel and i just remember you know sort of just running as fast as i could surrounded by kids and the other two staff you know there's 15 of us and everybody's kind of ducking and weaving trying to stay out of the puddles but get to the log cabin where we could go inside and, and dry off and, and and hopefully caught onto camp and have a van come get us um once things are kind of calmed down and I, <laughs> it's still, you know, and then the next day we had to go back and like clean everything up, you know? So it was, and I, I think we managed to bring the Dutch oven lasagna down that night and still eat it. And it was like super watered down because <laughs> the rain had gotten in. But we, the kids were like, no, we started it. So we, you know, we like, we, we put it back on the fire or we baked it in the oven. I forget. Maybe we went in the, the farmhouse 
Um, and we still ate that dinner that we had mostly finished out there. Um, and to this day, when I see um, Sam or, or Andrew or certain other kids who were part of that, that run, um, well, remember that time you didn't think it was going to rain? You know, that's always <laughs> the story. That's out. And it turns out that was like a historic rainfall that did um, that whole system really wreaked havoc in New Hampshire and Vermont um, and washed out bridges and stuff. And, you know, you just you, you never really know. And I think, yeah, but it's <laughs> the, the running through the river. That was the part that I'll I just the, the imprint on my brain of like the image of the both the way it felt to like slam your foot into this puddle and to see camp campers kind of like screaming and laughing, you know, as they navigated this sort of accidental chaos was uh was just fun and and crazy and super unforgettable yeah they are yeah. thunderstorms are unforgettable <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah definitely great well this has been so much fun thank you so much for joining us we have just one more question um we just love to know what you think the most important lesson that camp has taught you is yeah, that isn't that the big one. Um, before I answer that, I just I want to thank both of you. Um, I don't know if this particular interview uh, with us or this whatever you want to call it, this episode will ever be released, um, whether it's our first or just kind of um, baked into future rollouts of a potential podcast here camp. But um, I'm just so grateful for both of you digging into this. I um, this is the idea of a wannabe podcast has been thrown out there a handful of times um, in the last many years, but never really with any serious. It's always been kind of like, wouldn't it be nice? And wouldn't this be a good way to tell stories? And uh, I'm just super excited and grateful that you guys are even um, experimenting with this medium. And you know, it's just one example of all the the great things that the uh, the quote unquote mini staff of 2020 are are pulling together that are um, I think super powerful projects, especially this one in leading up to our sixth semester year, but um, also a testament to how uh, talented this team is and how, um, how much we can do, even though we can't do what we want to do this summer. So thank you for your leadership on this. Um, in terms of the, yeah, the biggest lesson camp has taught me, man, I, I, I touched on it early on and I think it sounds kind of like a, like a trope or something, but I, I do genuinely think that for me, camp, this camp, Wanaki specifically, is the space where I figured out who I wanted to be and and then figured out how to be that. And um, I, the school environment for me, um, you know, I had a I, I was fortunate in my school district and my teachers generally, you know, was positive. But I, I think I always felt a little bit scared or hesitant or intimidated to kind of really um, have a big have a personality to some extent, you know, trying to blend in and that pressure of, of being in middle school really is, you know, what it feels like to be that age and, and try to navigate social life um, was really, was really difficult for me. And I think that's true for a lot of people. And, and Wanaki opened up this space um, where I felt safe to kind of try on a different hat, which ended up being like the hat of, Oh, this, this feels like James, you know, this is what I want to be. Um, and that was in a space that is so connective. And, and I think part of what makes that possible is the, is the um, spiritual grounding and the sort of moments of reflection and peace that built on my church experience as a kid and that community for me, which is really meaningful. Um, so that combination of, of just the intangibles of people and the way that we approach um, 
I think, you know, wondering about the unknown and, and uh, experiencing the divine to some extent. I know that that sounds super big, but I think that that really does trickle down into um, how a young person experiences life for themselves, right? Is, I think in that context is, is a different kind of headspace and a different kind of personal experience. So I'll, I'll always be grateful for that. I, uh, that's definitely the thing that I hope that I am still able to support um, in this year round job and in making this my sort of full-time endeavor um, because I think that that's one of the super unique things that camp can do is provide kids and youth that space to, to discover you know, yeah. discover who they are. So mm. that's that. That's, that's awesome. Thank you so much yeah. for sharing that. And thank you so much for being our first guest uh, <laughs> on a recording of this podcast. And hopefully someday it gets to come to light and be shared with everyone. <laughs> we'll yes. see. We'll and see maybe, what happens. Maybe it'll even have a name. <laughs> uh, perhaps there shall be a name. <laughs> that we, should, we should share that. Right now we're recording this without knowing what the name of this podcast is. So yeah. that's, oof. You know, there's some contenders out there. There are some contenders <laughs> out there. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, guys. It's been a lot of fun. Yes. Thank you. We're so glad that you are finally hearing this episode and that this podcast finally does have a name. We'd like to thank James for supporting this podcast and Wanakee's communications committee for their input on the title. It truly takes a village. We hope you enjoyed listening to Amelia and Shannon's conversation with James and that you'll tune in next time to hear from some more Wanaki voices. To keep up with Wanaki in the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Wanaki NH or keep up with our program happenings on our website, wanaki.org. Grace, Grace and peace. And peace. <laughs>